The information provided on the Finesse Your Money podcast is not intended to constitute legal, business, financial or other professional or product advice. It is provided as general information only and is not intended as a substitute for personal advice from a qualified and licensed professional who is familiar with the facts of your particular circumstances. Ever asked yourself where your money is going? It's a common problem for businesses and people personally. Is it dumb luck to be successful with money? Or is it the smartest and most successful businesses and people that plan and know their numbers? Is your money out of control or needing some finessing? In this second season of Finesse Your Money, we're focusing on growth for businesses and personal and practical steps that you can take to grow. We explore what inspires our inspirational guests and the importance of giving back. We've also got some excellent tips from our guests about their planning process and who they rely on to keep their money under control and set themselves up for a bright, happy future. Get ready to be inspired. I'm Janine Wilson, the host of Finesse Your Money. I've been a financial advisor for 10 years and an accountant beforehand for, well, many more years. I'm the founder of Finesse financial advisors. Hi and welcome to Finesse Your Money. I'm Janine Wilson and our guest today is Kate Corkery. At just 35 years of age, Kate Corkery has been described as a wonder kind. Early 2019 saw Kate appointed as the Director of Sports Governance with Sports Australia and she's currently leading a team which supports sporting organisations to undertake one of the most ambitious programs of governance improvement in the history of Australian sport. Despite being in her 30s, Kate has already achieved a distinguished professional career. She's on the board of Judo Australia and in 2017 was elected as Judo Australia's first female chair. As an Australian first, Kate was appointed to the International Judo Federation Gender Equity Commission in 2018 and today Kate remains a member of the disciplinary tribunals of basketball ACT and softball ACT. Kate's passion for community shines through in all her unpaid voluntary roles where she says she's inspired by the power of a group of people coming together because they believe, love, support or want to be part of something great. Kate's also a lawyer, mediator, director and governance professional with a reputation for achieving outstanding financial results, governance improvement, staff and volunteer engagement and for being an inspiring leader. Kate and I first met at a conference about 18 months ago and I was struck by her presence. Thinking about it now, the Ralph Waldo Emerson quote comes to mind, do not follow where the path may lead, go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. Kate is definitely a trailblazer and she's the mum of two highly energetic and cheeky seven and five-year-old boys. And Kate will tell you that she's inspired by the power of a group of people coming together because they believe in something, love something, support something or want to be a part of something great. Welcome, Kate, and I'm delighted to have you join me as my guest today. Hi, Janine. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm just excited to hear so much more about sports and athletes. So obviously you wear a number of different hats in your professional roles in the sport and fitness sectors. So including your paid role as the Director of Sports Governance and Strategy and volunteer roles as the Chair of Judo Australia Board and Director on the Board of Fitness Australia. So can you tell us more about your career and what excites you about it? Look, I love the quote you just said there because my career has been one of ambition but not really one of specific planning. I certainly inherited my parents' strong work ethic and and commitment to continuous improvement. But since graduating high school, I have 
followed the things that I love, enjoyed finding myself in uncomfortable and challenging circumstances, and really tried to develop myself and give back to, to the community. Starting as a lawyer, I studied an economics and, and law degree. I worked as a, a litigator for a decade, so in both criminal law and also at the Australian Sports Anti-Doping Authority. And while I was working at ASADA, uh, involved in some of the most controversial and interesting um, litigation in Australian sports history with the doping litigation involving sort of Essendon and, and Cronulla and at the time when Lance Armstrong and the secret race uh, was all sort of high on, on the agenda and front and back page of the news, I realised that I was interested in exploring a career in, in sport management and actually applied for a job as the CEO of Basketball ACT. And I wasn't successful in achieving that job, but the then president asked if I would be interested in being appointed uh, director on the board. And I had thought about it. I hadn't. I guess I hadn't even really realised that um, being a director on boards was was a thing. And through this opportunity, I gained firsthand experience in the governance of a sporting organisation, and further developed my passion for improving the governance and integrity standards within sporting organisations. And from from there, I was elected vice president of basketball ACT and appointed to my first role as a director of a national sport board and onto the board of Judo Australia. And at the same time, I left my role at ASADA and took up my first role outside the law as a deputy CEO with YMCA Canberra. And what this did was allow me to augment my leadership and executive experience in the not-for-profit sector and none of this was planned. It was all a situation of, you know, doors were opened or I took risks or I found networks that challenged me and offered me opportunities. And after less than a year on the board of Judo Australia, and notwithstanding I had no personal background as a judoka at all, I was elected the chair of an Olympic sport representing judo nationally and then appointed to the International Judo Federation Gender Equity Commission. So it's been um, quite a journey, sort of controversial and hard at times, but well supported. And that's really led me through to my my current role at Sport Australia, which is sort of a full-time role in sport governance leadership. And it's a really exciting job sort of generally but particularly at the moment as we work with sports and sporting organizations in what truly is um, a challenging time for everyone involved in sport from from our athletes who should be walking into the opening ceremony of the the Tokyo Olympic Games tomorrow and, and won't be all the way through to our volunteers and administrators at the grassroots level who are just desperate to get our communities back engaged and involved in sport. So in business and life Kate, given what you've just said, how important is it to be open-minded to new ideas and new ways of doing things and be kind of resilient and flexible? You know, how, how important is that, do you think? Janine, I found that to be critical. And I've certainly discovered working in areas where I have no specific knowledge, for example, uh, in judo, that the capacity to be curious and, and to ask questions and to understand that there's almost always more than one way to do things. In fact, there's usually infinite ways to, to look at most problems and most challenges. And by opening your mind to a multitude of options, diversity of thinking, you gain knowledge, you create intelligence, and you're better placed to give more and achieve more for those that you're seeking to help. 
And I think that, that an open door is only useful if you have an open mind as you walk through it. That's an excellent point. I love that. <laughs> so at Finesse Financial Advisors, we maintain a strong commitment to putting the client first. What does that mean for you in your role? Gee, great question. I think that the client in my role is, is a very sort of complex question. You know, we operate to make sport available and, and safe and um, whether you're a mum of a five-year-old who, who's playing soccer for the first time or you're the president of a national sporting organisation, our role is to work through the, the governance of the organisations, of the system, um, to make it all possible without sort of realising that all of that's going on in the background. So when we do what we do, we do it so that everyone in Australia can engage in sport in a way which is safe, affordable, accessible, and we can all benefit from healthy bodies and healthy minds and a connection to our communities. Mm. So obviously, you know, helping clients, for me, build a blueprint for their financial future is really what excites me about the work that I do. And while professional athletes and athletes at the peak of their career face much the same economic challenges as the average person, like not saving for retirement or investing correctly, overspending and wanting to help struggling friends and family, for example, they may also face some really unique challenges of receiving large amounts of their lifetime earnings over a really short period of time or living hand to mouth on grants. So for example, a high income athlete might require special tax planning or wealth management strategies so that they have an enduring benefit from their talents. So Kate, can you tell us more about the unique issues that athletes face, especially when it comes to their financial future? Absolutely. Look, being an athlete may seem on the face of it to be uh, a highly lucrative uh, proposition, but I think you'll find most athletes and their families will tell you uh, that it's not and that, that it's in fact quite the opposite. We tend to use the word athlete generally, but I think it's important to recognise that uh, Olympic athletes are in a very different financial position to professional athletes. And in fact, male athletes are in a very different position to female athletes. So while professional athletes may earn high salaries during their career, their careers are often short-lived. And as you say, that means that they need to be very carefully uh, or very carefully advised with respect of, of savings and, and planning. And for those Olympic athletes, quite often there is never a financial gain to, to be had. The recent survey of the world athletes preparing for the Tokyo Games, 58% of them considered themselves not to be financially stable. And that then raises opportunities around um, sort of training stipends and grants, how we pay athletes, how they live, and, and significantly their, their post-career opportunities. And I guess the other thing that, that plays into this is how quickly the financial situation for an athlete can change, uh, whether that be through injury or, you know, as we've seen through COVID, entire sporting competitions just not going ahead. And you simply going from a position of expecting that there's going to be some sort of financial gain or some sort of financial return to having absolutely nothing. So is it possible then for professional athletes to turn their short-term paycheck into a lifetime of financial stability? And, you know, and if so, is there a role for the sporting associations in helping them to achieve that? 
Absolutely. I think that athletes are, in in the most part, very focused on their athletic excellence, on making the team, on achieving the, the next result. So they may not have a level of financial literacy or knowledge or understanding of financial matters. And at the time, they might not even be turning their minds to it. So it's really important that athletes focus on giving some thought to a life plan and a financial plan, for example, what they will do after their playing days. And secondly, lifetime financial security by taking responsibility early and involving themselves actively in um, selecting and monitoring their financial situation and and the right advisors to support them through that. Because certainly there's some horror stories that you hear where sporting people's managers have taken advantage of them. And, you know, so I think it's the same sort of rules apply as any person or high income professional. Just make sure that you've got the eye on the ball, really, <laughs> because, you know, you, you, you want to make sure that you, you have those trusted advisors um, around you and that you're getting the best device available, but you also need to have some sort of monitoring system in place that captures anything that isn't, you know, quite right early on. And the second thing is that, you know, many high-income professionals are in exactly the same boat where they're excellent at their job and their position, but they don't necessarily have that same level of financial literacy that you might expect. You know, they might be a great great um, lawyer but you know don't necessarily keep their eye on their their money and so getting professional help is really important to make sure that you you know locking in that financial security for the future absolutely i mean few athletes operate without coaches and few athletes operate without a game plan and the same holds true with finances you want an expert you want someone to coach you through it you want someone who has the technical knowledge to get the absolute best outcome for you Yeah, absolutely. So how does the Sports Association assist um, Olympic, Paralympic and Commonwealth Games athletes to set themselves up for life after sport? And is that even part of the role of the association? Look, it's a really challenging question. The Australian Olympic Committee does a really great job, um, as do the Australian Institute of Sport, in supporting athletes to set themselves up for life after sport. And there's lots of opportunities there. The key is it's over to the athlete to take advantage of it. So, for example, through through the AIS and through teams, and I know that the um, UC Canberra Capitals are an excellent example of this, do the athletes have access to flexible education opportunities? So what opportunities can they explore whilst they're still athletes? Can they sit in on business or law or broadcasting classes and pursue passions at the same time? So both Olympic and professional athletes meet a variety of successful people whilst they're working as athletes. So why not ask them what they do and what opportunities uh, exist in their field? Um, and really being open to opportunities for mentoring. One of the great things that the Australian Olympic Committee does is a program called Olympics Unleashed, where they send our Olympians into our classrooms. Now, it's fabulous for a number of reasons. It's fabulous because our young people get to see their, their idols and their inspiration up close. But significantly, it's a source of income for our athletes. And I know for our judo athletes that being able to be paid to go in and share your experiences with these young people creates a sustainability around financial position whilst you're chasing your next Olympic 
Games and your next Olympic qualification actually far more viable and is significant. So the Australian Institute of Sport and, and the Australian Olympic Committee both have really positive programs and opportunities for athletes to develop themselves, but also gain income as they're still continuing to work as an athlete. That's fantastic to know. So what's your best advice for athletes on the road to achieving their dreams? Uh, look, from a technical sport perspective, I'm, I'm a terrible person to ask, but one of my observations is that it's really important for athletes to manage their brand. So think of, of income potential not only as wages as a professional athlete, but potentially endorsement deals, commercials, and of course, future opportunities, public speaking opportunities, um, even the, the classroom opportunity I was talking about. So image and perceptions can be reality and they can have major financial consequences. So, you know, how do you treat your coach? Because this could be a pathway to future coaching jobs. How do you deal with the press? Because that could influence a career in broadcasting. How do you treat, you know, your fans? Because that could affect the likelihood of endorsements or public speaking. So, Creating and maintaining a network of supporters will be beneficial throughout your career. And so you've got to be very careful about how you develop and build and support your personal brand and significantly not tear it down. Mm, great advice. So tell us about three common mistakes you're seeing athletes or families of athletes making with their money again and again and again. Yeah, look, this is a really difficult one. I know that parents will sacrifice everything to give their children the opportunity to pursue their dreams. Being involved in sport is not a, a cheap proposition for, for families or athletes. And certainly as you're trying to develop them and expose them at young ages, I mean, I hear stories all the time in every sport about literally tens of thousands of dollars for, for children to do overseas trips and, and professional coaching and training. So I think the, the mistakes are about not putting a limit on that and um, not looking for opportunities to have sponsorship or support as they go through that. And significantly creating accountability in our young people about the cost that it is to a family for them to chase their dreams and how they can contribute to that. But also, I think that there is an ongoing responsibility on the sector to make sport and these opportunities more affordable. So how as a sector can we be more efficient, less duplicative? Can we understand the cost of participating in sport and take some of the pressure off the athletes and their families? Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So what would you say to parents of kids that have been identified as, you know, talent <laughs> Run a mile. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, look, um, I guess uh, simply I would say set explicit financial and performance goals. Like where are your limits? Where are the edges? What are you prepared to sacrifice? And what balance will you create around those goals and sacrifices? Um, establish a budget or a spending plan and involve your up-and-coming talented athlete in the development of that so they do understand that the time implications, the financial implications, the practical implications of, of their dreams. 
check in on on the progress against those goals so the performance goals the the family goals the the financial goals regularly and be really willing to adjust the plan as needed so you don't want to sort of set off with this really solid plan about all of the things that your talented athlete's going to do um, without taking advice along the way and, and adjusting as needed. Mm. So there's a lot to be said for, you know, that family conversation around the kitchen table. I mean, if you, if you know, the setup might be, you know, a family with two or three kids, but only one has been identified as talented. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for everyone understanding, um, you know, what the situation is and what the circumstances are and, and just really having that sort of buy-in, if you like. So, Absolutely. So important. So what sort of services are available to help athletes um, or sporting clubs um, who need help and perhaps financial support to access those sorts of services? There are lots of services available all the way from our, our local councils through our state and territory governments and, and through um, federal government. Predominantly, um, it's about accessing um, grants and, and through institute networks and, and high-performance academies. Ultimately, um, the Australian Institute of Sport is, is a good start place in terms of gaining information, but also speaking to your clubs um, because the clubs are your connection through your state sporting organisations and through to your national sporting organisations. So they're quite often uh, well-connected and educated and communicated with respect to the opportunities. So start there uh, and and see what advice you can get. Thank you. So I really hope our listeners are enjoying the show. Kate will be sharing her big money tip very soon. It's a bit of a change of pace now, Kate. Tell us more about yourself growing up and what initially sparked your interest in sports. Well, growing up, well, I grew up in Orange in Central West um, New South Wales. Um, to, to be quite honest, I didn't connect with sport. Um, I've, I've never really been a sporty person myself. Um, I loved arts and music. Um, but I did identify organised sport at all levels as something that was fundamental to the Australian psyche and something which was a synergy with my own passions, even if it wasn't with my own sort of capability. I always loved the law and particularly how laws govern all human activity and relationships. So the way in which law impacts on the way in which sport is undertaken uh, was something that I first experienced at ASADA. But I guess that I find it a fascinating connection. So I, I came to develop a real passion for trying to improve governance and integrity standards for everyone involved in sport. And sport energizes and motivates so many people and to play a positive role in sport even when I've never been an elite sports person is very rewarding and satisfying. Mm. I I understand what you're saying. I know my son was very much into motorcycle racing when he was a young man and you know it's it's just incredible when I think back to the amount of time, effort and energy that we had and, you know, something that always struck me about sport and kids and sport was knowing the rules. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's it. And most people, um, parents and athletes, whether at the elite or the novice level, they don't really want to be concerned with structures and processes and funding and risk and compliance And yet without these fundamental foundations, organised sport wouldn't be possible. And I think that's why I'm passionate about uplifting the capability and competence of all those volunteers in boardrooms. And 
I use the term boardroom loosely. Sometimes it can also be kitchen tables, but these are people who are, are volunteering their discretionary time to build a, a healthier, happier community. Mm, absolutely. It's just such an important role. And, you know, I really commend people who get involved um, at any level of sport, particularly on a volunteer basis. So what do you wish you had known when you were starting in your career or life in general, Kate? Ah, oh, gee, what do I wish I'd known? Uh, failures and setbacks are going to be key ingredients of your success story. Uh, you either win uh, or you learn. Don't be afraid to try different things and find out what inspires you and makes you happy. Don't be afraid to throw lots of balls in the air at once and try and keep them up. And I, I guess that success is the sum of small efforts repeated day in and day out. You'll get the most out of your life if you take an interest in people and uh, be kind and look for opportunities to volunteer and give back to your community. And I think the other thing that particularly I've, I've come to understand over the last of 12 months is self-care is not optional, it's essential. So take an interest in looking after yourself because when you are strong mentally and physically, you will be of greatest value to those in your life. Good observations there. Sounds a lot like money, <laughs> you know, small, small compounding amounts over a very long time. <laughs> That's it. That's it. You mentioned some key principles. You know, people shouldn't be surprised that um, investment markets go up and down because we expect that. <laughs> and if you know about investment markets, you know that. And so, you know, there's there's not very often massive surprises in this world if you step back and think about it. So, how does being at the top of your game translate to remuneration for you and what are the perks of your job? Look, the sport's not a sector you go into generally if you want to make a lot of money. Most people who work in sport don't make a lot of money. They, they do it because they love it. They do it because they're passionate uh, about it. I mean, in terms of perks, I've been extraordinarily fortunate in terms of my role as chair of Judo Australia and on the Gender Equity Commission for the International Judo Federation in terms of travel. So I've been able to see parts of the world that, you know, I, I never, you know, could have imagined. So I was invited to speak at a conference in uh, Baku in Azerbaijan two years ago. And, and that's a place in the world that... Uh, to have been invited to travel there um, in a way which was safe and in a way which was interesting, in a way which was, you know, allowed me to meet the type of people and, and experience the culture in the way that I did was quite extraordinary. And certainly um, I will be forever grateful that the perks of this job really are the people, the people that you meet and the impact that they have on, on who you are and what you're doing. I completely agree. Travel enriches your life and, and so do people you meet. And so when you've got a common sort of cause or philosophy, it, you know, it, can, it can be so much more rewarding. So do you have a financial plan yourself, Kate? And you know, what have you done personally to get control of your money while at the same time supporting the people that you care about? Look, I, I think that I've certainly uh, had some challenges over, over the last 12 to 18 months becoming a single mum, um, and that's forced me to look at money and my financial situation quite differently. So I really felt like I had to start again financially by myself, and I, I downloaded all my statements and, and categorised everything and went into 
uh, almost chief financial officer mode. So everything, including entertainment and utilities and, and food and groceries and household bills and subscriptions to work out where I could save money. And I, I was fascinated to realize that when I reviewed all my insurances, so house and life and car and health and utility plans, um, how much I could renegotiate. I think I renegotiated every single one of those utility plans and insurances and I couldn't believe how much easier, well, how easy it was. It was time consuming, but it was relatively straightforward and, and the money I saved. Um, I think the other thing is that I've, I've gotten much better at thinking of alternatives to my boys' favourite entertainment options. So, um, Things like the movies are really expensive by the time you buy the tickets and, and what the boys want to eat and drink. So I now make a big thing about movie nights at home. So I actually make tickets for the boys so it feels like the movies and I buy them special treats, but it's far more cost effective than, than going out. And even when we go out bike riding, I'm much better now at packing a picnic and, and maybe buying an icy pole at the end of the ride as a treat. So I'm only spending sort of less than $10. So I'm sort of far more conscious now about the little things um, and far more sort of particular and pedantic about them too. Yeah, and I think that it's not so hard to do that. We've all had a lot of time on our hands. Um, we're at, you know, the tail end of the first wave of the COVID pandemic, but we've all had some time on our hands and, you know, it's valuable time to do that year after year to just at least do, um, you know, a big check-in once a year. As you say, you, you're able to negotiate a lot on on your utilities um, and likewise with your mortgage and things like that. There's ways and means of making some savings and that's just money back in your pocket to do, you know, things that you want to do or to, you know, save for the future. So you're securing your financial future. So well done, Kate. I'm pleased to, to say, but one of the things I certainly advocate is, you know, regular review and, you know, having that financial discipline. It can be hard, but it's never too late to start. <laughs> so what's your top money tip? What's one thing our listeners um, can do right now to help themselves financially in the long run? Look, I, I don't have a budget because for me, it, it sounds scary and limiting, but I do have a spending and investment plan. And I think that the way you think about your money and the way that you articulate what you're doing with it, am I spending it? Am I investing it? Is it a fixed cost? Is it a, a variable cost? That's given me far more flexibility to not just think about budgets as being limiting. Um, the other thing that I love is I, I take out a fixed amount of cash at the beginning of each week for anything that isn't a necessary expense. So my, my coffees, um, if I go out with girlfriends, if I, if I take the boys out for dinner, I only have a fixed amount in the week that I allow myself for, for those expenses. And then at the end of the week, if I have anything left, it goes into a container in a drawer. And then at the end of the month, that becomes my discretionary income. So that might go towards a massage or some clothes or, or whatever the case may be. And then I find that I'm far more disciplined in terms of the new things that I buy myself or what I invest um, my money in. I love that idea, Kate. So that's your sort of self-care slush fund for the end of the month. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and some months it's far more slushier than others, I have to admit. <laughs> well, it depends on how cold it is in Canberra. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
So where can we find you? You know, how do you have any sort of go-to resources or areas that people can go and have a look at if they want more information about sports? Absolutely. Look, I recommend the um, Sport Oz website and the AIS website as a really good starting point. There's an extraordinary amount of, of information for, for parents, for volunteers and for athletes. If you're interested in sport governance, we are launching the brand new Australian Sports Governance Principles on the 3rd of August. So keep your eye out at www.sportoz.com gov.au forward slash governance and they're excellent uh, support and resources and tools for people who are helping our athletes and helping our clubs and sports sustain and survive at the moment and hopefully grow in the years ahead and hopefully we can get back on the pitch really soon (laughs) yes absolutely the sooner the better (laughs) i think there's a lot of pent-up energy right now (laughs) i was certainly very glad to get my boys back on the soccer field a couple of weeks ago that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) so thanks kate for joining us today and it's just been such a pleasure having you as my guest and um, have you shared such insights so thanks again If you'd like more information about Finesse Financial Advisors, please go to our website, www.finesseadvisors.com. And if you'd like a discovery session with me, please email admin at Finesse Advisors and we'll send you a gift voucher valued at $150 to be redeemed on the call. That brings us to a close. Until next time, bye for now and thank you again, Kate. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed the show today and have some action steps you can take right now to get control of your money. Join me, Janine Wilson, next time for Finesse Your Money. Meantime, head to my website, www.finesseadvisors.com or email me at admin at finesseadvisors.com to claim a gift voucher for a discovery session with me valued at $150. Make sure you put gift voucher in the headline.